SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. And welcome back to the Underdog Dynasty Podcast AAC edition. You are not hearing the voice of Joe Brobeck because he left us. He didn't want to be here anymore. No, he got a better opportunity. He got a really good opportunity. We're happy for him. My name is Dan Morrison. I'm here with our new co-host, Emily Van Buskirk. Uh, yeah, tell them about yourself. You, I want to say thank you first for giving this opportunity to be on with you guys. I'm so excited. And also, you nailed the pronunciation of my name. That was like huge. So thank you. <laughs> well, you know, I got the English degree for something. I have to. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, I've had my name butchered. It, it's funny because it's very straightforward, but um, I appreciate the effort there. That was awesome. But no, I'm excited to be here. Um, you know, I've known Eric Henry for a long time and he finally recruited me. He's like, you got to come on board and tell some stories this year. Um, a little bit about me and my college football background is that I am a, a traveling writer. So I cover college football across the country. And my my favorite thing to do is, is go to different venues, different games, learn about, you know, the team and the fans and the base and, and then write stories about it. So, you know, I've gone everywhere from Florida to middle America to the West coast where I'm based and I've covered games all over the country. So um, I'm excited to have a little bit of a home in this conference, but I hope people will bear with me because I am new to the American. Um, I've covered some of the teams. I've done some Tulane stuff. I've been to UCF. I've done some Houston things, but overall the conference is relatively new and I'm excited to dive in and get to know why the AAC is so special. So with that in mind, everybody just, you know, be kind, be patient with me. And I promise I will get there and bring you guys good stories. So no, you're going to kill it. And I think <laughs> we all know that, uh, you know, for me, one of those things that makes the AAC special is the diversity in different programs you get, you know, this is a conference where you've got a military Academy and Navy, and they offer a very kind of retro, but at the same time, modernized version of the triple option. And then you go to, you know, all these different spread schools that are just out there and even the Cincinnati's of the world who are doing a lot of new RPO stuff, but it's in a very kind of physical look. So you get that versatility that I love to watch. Uh, so there's something for everyone, I think. Well, it's but. funny because that you say Navy, I, in my first podcast as in this position with Eric uh, the other day, I was talking about players I was excited to watch. And obviously I love, I'm a huge, I'll just get this out of the way. I'm a huge fullbacks fan. That is like my passion besides kickers and punters, which is my other, you know, passion project. Fullbacks are my favorite thing in the whole world. I'm a huge fullback advocate. And in the West coast, we, where I'm based in the PAC 12, we don't see a lot of fullback, you know, options. We don't see any plays that they get to run. If you do see them um, it's in a very limited role. Now, granted Stanford was, once upon a time, the big fullback school were Owen Marisic. That was like how I fell in love with it. But I'm excited because Navy runs the offense that is set up for fullbacks to thrive. But I threw out a name of a fullback that they had that I was excited about. And it turns out he transferred. So Jamal Crothers. Uh, <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, I think so he's at like, Western Kentucky now, but it's yeah. all good. They, <laughs> they still have like six or seven fullbacks on the roster deep. So yes. you're going to get incredibly important to that offense that they get a fullback who can go downhill a little bit but yeah unfortunately uh, Crothers is gone from Navy yeah it's a bummer but I'm still excited to see what's there I just that was my little embarrassing moment for the for the start but I'm over it (laughs) yeah like like I said uh before we got started we all have those things and this year is so (laughs) tough because 
of the new transfer rules and people coming back for a fifth year of eligibility mm-hmm. that they wouldn't have had. It's knowing rosters is a mess and there's nothing better than someone hitting you up on Twitter going, actually the fourth string defensive tackle at Tulsa is this guy. Now I'm like, Oh, sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love those people. The actually is it's great. Yes. It's how I learn and grow. So we're thankful for that. <laughs> it actually is. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no. Uh, so yeah, we have just finished our previews uh, last week when we finished up with Tulane. Actually, uh, we're still a little bit of time away from preseason games because there's no AAC teams with a Week Zero game that we get to look at, which kind of puts us in no man's land here. So I was <laughs> yeah. going to, we should take a look at the things we're excited for this upcoming season that you don't necessarily hear in your average preview. Like, what are you looking to see? I know that you're probably going to be traveling to a lot of games in the conference this year. Uh, and just like individual players, individual coaches, like dynamics, anything like that. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was um, going today through all of the schools and emailing. One of the things that I, I did is I emailed all the SIDs um, um, for those people who don't know what SID is, which I found is not a common term unless you're a writer is yeah. a student information directors and they are the lifeblood of programs of any sport at any school and they're amazing and they need more love. So that is my shout out for all the SIDs that do great work. Um, I emailed all of the AAC SIDs and said, Hey, I'm new. I'm here. Can I please be added to your email list? And um, I've been hearing back from a lot of them and they've been so nice and welcoming. So, Mm -hmm. but one of them that really stood out and this is going to probably, I don't know, surprise maybe some people is um, East Carolina, Mm -hmm. the pirates, their SID is, awesome. And he referenced fullbacks from my Twitter bio. And so we got to talking and I'm actually hoping to speak to their head coach this week and learn a little bit because I see that they have a huge following and their fans are very passionate, but obviously the, it hasn't been where they wanted it to be yet, but this year is very hopeful for their football team. So that's, that's a program I'm excited to keep an eye on. You know, ECU is a great, great (laughs) fan base in this conference. A lot of people give them a lot of, you know, crap because they haven't been very good since about 2014 uh you know i don't know if you know the full story there but they had a pretty good program under rough and mcneil you know never a consistent 10 win team but a consistent eight or so win team mm-hmm. and they had a year where they fell off a little bit down to like i want to say it was five and seven and uh mm-hmm. well they moved on from him because they said all right we can't be stagnant they saw teams in the conference growing around them pretty quickly and unfortunately, it was just a mistake to get rid of him at that time. They made a bad hire to replace him with Scotty Montgomery, and the program got set back a few years. I think Mike Houston's a really good coach, though. I think he's yeah. on the way to gain them there. I, he's a national champion coach at uh, the FCS level with James Madison. Uh, you know, He's an excellent, excellent motivator. Uh, the one thing with them is they do have a fullback for a quarterback, and he needs to be a little bit more consistent in Holton Aylers, and that's something that we've talked about on the podcast before is if he can ever find some consistency, that offense is deadly. That's awesome. I'm excited. And, and even talking to them a little bit, seems like they're passionate. And that's honestly what I'm getting from this conference is that there's a lot of passionate fan bases. And one of them that Eric told me to watch out for is temple. Now temple is weirdly one of my favorite teams. I haven't made it out there yet, but I'm going to be on their campus this year. I'm actually going to their first game with Rutgers um, in, you know, New Jersey, and I'm going to be there. Their offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator are, I dare say, friends of mine. I've done stories with them, Mike Yaramovich and Jeff Knowles. They are childhood 
teammates. Okay. They grew up in the same town. They played football together when they were kids, they played in high school and they ended up coaching at these small school, you know, teams before they, before they made it to FBS football. And while they haven't enjoyed that much success under Rod Carey there so far, I think that we're poised to see the magic that is, you know, this dynamic duo bust out this year. Now, maybe that's eternally optimistic of me, but I am full on Temple stand for this year. I was going to say, this Temple fans have not cared for me in my nonsense this <laughs> off season. Oh no. I've been, I'm okay. So I don't know how much you know about my Temple history, but I'm just very, very low on Rod mm-hmm. Carey as a head coach, to be honest. I'm just, I don't think he's why 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 so low out of curiosity so if you look at his history he Mm -hmm. I go back to northern Illinois he inherited an orange bowl team and he kind of I don't care I know his last season there he won the Mac but he won the Mac with like an eight win season he just I felt like he took them he took them a step back and then he fizzled out a little bit Mm -hmm. and I go back to the hiring process on Rod Carey at Temple that was the year Manny Diaz left after I think 17 days and I thought it was a little bit of a panic hire to get a guy in right away I think they gave him too long a contract with too big a buyout and too much security work. As he really struggled last season, and I know that Temple had a lot of COVID issues last season. I'm uh-huh. not trying to ignore yeah. that, but everyone had COVID last season. It's kind of my, how much emphasis do I put on COVID last year? I still haven't figured it out and we're into, you know, 21 now at this point. Right. So. But do you ever do you ever look at his Northern Illinois Northern Illinois days and be like, okay, clearly he can put together a program like that, and maybe he just hasn't found that you know recipe yet? Yes, and no. Like I said, though, I just I looked at the team he inherited, and I look mm-hmm. at it as this team that was already very good. Okay. I didn't see like uh, you see other coaches in the conference who took over maybe a bad program or an average program and took them to the next level. Like, I mean, Luke Fickle is the exact polar opposite where he took over a terrible program. He's the best coach in the conference. There's no debate about it. Everyone loves him, (laughs) but like you see how he like built up a program that he inherited. I didn't see that with uh, Rod Carey inheriting the program that needed work. Even past coaches at Temple, like a a Matt rule or Jeff Collins inherited Mm -hmm. a little bit less and were able to build it up. Okay. Well, I mean, that's definitely things that I hadn't thought about it, but I'm more of a glass half full type okay. person. So I also, so we'll yeah, see. I, I also knock temples facilities from time to time, but that's not, <laughs> it's something I do know that they're trying to work on. Yeah. Well, I've never been there and apparently it's like miserable, especially because of the weather. Right. That's part and, of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but part of it is also, I just don't think that college football games are good in a pro stadium. that's that's the biggest debate is like there are people that are super for that because they love the atmosphere and like players if you talk to them they love playing in the big stadiums because they get a feel of like the nfl life but if that was all you ever did maybe i could see how that would not be so great yeah so i mean i'll tell you this now because it's everyone who's been listening knows i'm a ucf (laughs) guy by my nature i I noticed I think, your shirt. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I, I'm supposed to be biased, but this is the clean shirt I had. Um, no, I'm, I went to two schools for college. I went to UCF and UMass. I don't try to hide that. I don't think it's worth trying to hide. I think right. having some personality matters and some skin in the game matters. Um, the difference between UCF and USF, and, a, and there's a lot of differences, even though they're very similar. One of the major differences is on-campus football stadium versus no on-campus football stadium versus renting out Raymond J Stadium. And to me, 
And to me, it's all the difference in the world in terms of the quality of going to a game. Don't get me wrong. The bounce house is incredibly hot. It's so hot in that stadium. It can sometimes be unbearable. It (laughs) is, I I get it's all bleachers. It can be a little bit uncomfortable to be in. It's smaller than Raymond J stadium. I'm aware of that too, Mm -hmm. but the atmosphere is electric in it. And if you go to Raymond J stadium, it's empty seats. They're comfortable seats, but they're empty. And part of that's the team that they have right now. But part of it isn't because back 2016, 2017, they weren't exactly filling it up either. So that's just who they've been in an empty off-campus stadium where it's harder for students to get to. So that's where I stand on it. I think the atmosphere is worth being on campus, even if the locker room's smaller. That is a very, this would be a very good article debate, whether, because you look at, I come from the Pac-12, you know, we grew up going to the Rose Bowl and that was, it's off campus. It's way off campus, about as far as you can get, but it's iconic and it's, you know, yeah. it is college football. So I wonder the, if that the, matters. The Rose Bowl is iconic, but when UCLA mm-hmm. hosts a game in recent years, especially when they've been kind of average or yeah. a little bit below that, how many people are really there? When LSU <laughs> goes to play at the Rose Bowl, uh, was it week one? Mm-hmm. Uh, how many LSU fans are going to be there compared to UCLA fans? How many UCLA students are going to make it out there? That's sort of where I come from on it. But that's true of any team that has a a bad year. Like if you go to a Stanford game, even though they're traditionally, you know, bowl eligible, usually one of the big bowls, you still can't draw people on campus. So I think that speaks more to the fan base than it does the facilities, in my opinion. But I, you know, I got to check out these other teams. Yeah, I, I think I look at uh, Tulane. You mentioned covering them a little bit. Yes. When they moved from the Superdome to Yulman mm-hmm. Stadium, first off, I really love Yulman. It's a very I nice, love Yulman. It's such a great <laughs> stadium. But it's also, it's like 30,000, 35,000 people fit in. It's nothing compared yeah. to the Superdome, but I think it's so, it made Tulane games such a better experience. I think mm-hmm. for players, they notice that the fans are more engaged. Their stadium's more full, at least in appearance, even if it's the same amount of people. Uh, and it's just a better place to go play. I think you notice that if you're a, a high school prospect visiting and watching a game from the stadium. So I'm I, curious, I, are you surprised that they got Oklahoma to come to Yulman, like shocked. instead of doing it? I'm shocked. shocked. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. Oklahoma is generally like on that level of a program that goes, oh no, we couldn't possibly go to your stadium. <laughs> We're Oklahoma. You know, we'll pay you to come lose at our stadium, which like, I love that Oklahoma's going there. I, I know do. it's going to be great. I'm actually going to that game for, for not this week. So this week, obviously week zero, I'm going to be home San Jose state, but that week one, I'm going to do the temple Rutgers Thursday night game and then head to um, Tulane for the Oklahoma game Saturday. So I'm really excited to have back-to-back AAC games in the first week. Oh yeah. That'll be good. But you're missing doing the, that Thursday night. You're missing out on UCF Boise. <laughs> Is really isn't, that, isn't that at Boise State? No, it's at UCF. Oh, it's at UCF. Okay, because I have State next year, I think. I have told myself I will never cover a game at Boise State because that field makes me literally sick to look at, and so I can't do it. I was like, I'm never going to go there. Okay, so yeah, I mean, next year I think they're at Boise State for the same yeah. game. Miss me with that. Is that every colored field that you can't do, like an Eastern Washington game? Would you be able to do where they've got that red inferno field? I, that's a good question. I don't know. It's just the Boise state blue that just really irks me. I it's too, it's too much. I just can't. The the one colored field where I really can't do it. Like I can, Mm -hmm. I like the coastal Carolina teal turf. Yes. I like, I'm okay on the Eastern Michigan gray field thing. Mm -hmm. The central Arkansas purple and gray striped field (laughs) is the worst (laughs) thing I've ever seen. 
Your field knowledge is very, this, this is extensive. I, do, I have not seen that one, but I'm going to Google it now. Yeah, but it's it, horrifying. I'm interested to see this UCF Boise State game because I transitioning to UCF stuff. I know you obviously have your thoughts, but I love the Gus Malls on hire. I don't understand what happened at Auburn. I don't think I ever will. I don't think I'll ever I, understand why that happened. I think the most concise way I can describe what happened mm-hmm. to him at Auburn was a lot of people with a lot of money tried to tell him what to do consistently. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they told him, no, you can't call plays. We want this guy to call plays this year. No, we want him to be the defense coordinator. No, we want, you know, and at a school like Auburn where they have so much money to throw around, mm-hmm. they, your hand as the head coach, your hand as the athletic director is often forced by those interests. It's the same reason Willie Taggart got such a short leash at Florida state because yes. they were given the money at the school had so much power. So I think nowadays at school where there's going to be a lot less money controlling what he does. Mm-hmm. I think he, first off, he seems a lot happier in every interview I've seen of him since he left Auburn. Yeah. He's so happy. He's living his best life in Florida. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> he's, he's in a much better spot. I think where he can yeah. go be himself. He can just coach. He still has access to a ton of great talent to recruit. He's recruiting at mm-hmm. a much higher level than Josh Heifel was as of right now. Yeah. Uh, and I think that he's going to work out well. I didn't think he was even on the radar for possible <laughs> hires, though. Right. I thought, um, I know Jeff Levy, the Ole Miss offense coordinator, who's uh, the original offense coordinator under mm-hmm. uh, Heifel. He campaigned hard for the job. And when he started campaigning the way he did, I did not want him to get I don't want him to get it anyways because of his Baylor connections and what happened there. He's, yes. one, of the, he's one of the coaches uh, who was at, at Baylor under our brows for those who don't know. And he was punished for what happened there, which means he had more involvement than I want associated with any program in the conference, frankly. Right. Um, I honestly, I thought Rhett Lashley, who was at Gus Malzahn disciple was going to get, yes. the he's the Miami OC now. I thought he made a lot of sense, but no, Gus is the guy. And I, I do like what he's done so far. The question everyone seems to have though, is whether or not Dylan Gabriel and Gus can mesh together mm-hmm. is but I think that's an overrated talking point, to be honest. Because, yeah, I agree. You know, we've seen Dylan Gabriel fit into Josh Heupel's system very well, which is a deep ball throwing system. And there's this assumption that he can't do other things for some reason, just because that's what he was asked to do. But, you know, Dylan Gabriel was a guy who committed to army out of high school before backing out of that and going to UCF instead. He can run and he can fit that read option that Gus yeah. likes to do as well. So I, I'm not too concerned about it. No, I'm not at all. His Gus is offense is so dynamic and that's why I think I was so frustrated and confused by the the move for him because he's one of having spoken with him at great length um over the last year because I was doing a story about fullbacks I was doing a story about small ball coaching which a lot of people don't realize Gus Malzahn got his start in high school football he coached high school football for years before going on to like Tulsa and all these places where he got to basically implement his offensive system and we spoke for a long, long time about, you know, his strategy and he's such a great offensive mind. And I was just shocked, you know, that Auburn would even let that go despite all of the problems. But I think their losses, UCF's game, it's going to be so fun to watch them. So many points, so much like fast, surprising play. It's just going to be, it's going to be like a roller coaster for you guys. So I'm Absolutely. I, I think it's a lot better to attack a team like Cincinnati, who is the mm-hmm. top of the conference because Heupel's offense was always if, it doesn't work against man coverage if we don't have the better athletes or in trouble. And Cincinnati was always able to stop that. The Bearcats are, I think, the presumed conference champion, if that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> we haven't played any games yet, but we're all assuming that 
Cincinnati repeat this conference champions because they are so experienced and so talented. I know I'm really looking forward to watching their defense again and seeing how it changes uh, going from Marcus Freeman to the new defense coordinator, who's a, a trestle. We have been trestle in the conference and the Ohio team, oddly enough. Yeah. Uh, from what I've heard is the big difference isn't going to be necessarily a strategic thing or a scheme wise. It's going to be more about adjusting at the last second to what the offense is doing. Uh, kind of like what Brent Venables does at Clemson. Nice. Well, it's exciting for sure. My big, I'm and my little like tidbit for this conversation is Gus Malzahn at Tulsa. That's where he first implemented the use of a fullback Charles Clay in his cool. spread up tempo offense. Fun fact. Absolutely. Gotta love that. <laughs> Anyways, um, I'm trying to think other than Navy, though, how many fullbacks do we really have in this conference for you? <laughs> I will go look. I So the other day I made a TikTok about fullbacks, um, shameless TikTok plug, but <laughs> I, I did one of these things because I get asked questions all the time or I get basically, you know, people saying very loudly at me that fullbacks don't exist anymore, that college football killed them, that they're not, um, they're dying breed, which is completely false. So um if you want to see the TikTok, it's on love, love you hallways, which is my TikTok, And it's just, it dispels those myths, but I went through all of the rosters in the NFL and, you know, found which ones have fullbacks X amount of, you know, 32 rosters have them. Um, and that number is in the TikTok. And then I started to do college football. It's a lot harder though with college football because Fullbacks in college football are not always labeled as fullbacks. As a matter of fact, they're never labeled. There's very few teams that actually use the moniker. Um, they're often listed at tight end. But if you look at a tight end and you see that he's six foot, 250 pounds, that is a fullback. Okay. Let me just tell you oh, that right there. The so I'll end, go through and I'll look. <laughs> the tight end that they line up between the guard and the tackle. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. So you, if you know where to look for them and you know what you're looking for, they're easy to find and spot in the wild. But I, I accept your challenge. I will go through all of the rosters for and ABC. I, yeah, I don't want to hear anything about the Navy fullbacks. We know they exist. Okay, fine. I will skip Navy. But everybody else, I'm going to go look through. And when I talk to the coaches this week um, from the AAC, I'm going to ask them if they are going to use fullbacks this year because I always ask so I will report back and everybody can wait for that article coming at the end of the week so I'll include a little fullback corner <laughs> uh, absolutely and you're, you're right there's also guys like I'm going to go out of the AAC here and think okay. about Hawaii. do you remember Hawaii's Dayton Furuta from a couple years ago yes he yes. was basically a fullback too that they used from a running back position where it was just we're going to give a bowling ball to see how far he can go before someone gets run over it's a similar it's stylistically very similar to what a fullback would be where you're just going to give a guy some short yardage and have him fall forward. Yeah, it, it really is. And honestly, I don't think Cincinnati's probably going to be that team that has them, but I, I think Malzahn always said, when I talked to him, he said the best teams, the ones that win championships and win conferences are the ones that have dynamic offenses like that with fullbacks and running backs and tight ends and utilize all of them. So if Cincinnati was smart they would at least have one to incorporate because if you line a fullback up, the other team and the defense has to account for him, whether you're going to use him or not. So, you know, and Cincinnati is a huge tight end team. So you might mm -hmm. find a few of those that you would consider okay. almost more of a fullback there, but yeah, that's sort of what they're up to. Uh, are there any teams in the American though, that you're looking at going, I just don't see where you're going to get 
to be successful this year? What what team are you looking at? This is a down on select team. I'm gonna put you on blast oh, real no. quick. I know, and I hate doing that because I don't love. I don't love speaking ill of most teams um, because uh, yeah, they're all trying their best. You know, it's like we're, we're working on it. But obviously we're looking at, I think USF is the team, right? That's going to be struggling the most. Yeah, they were the bottom of yeah. the conference last year. And I don't yeah. know much about them. The I got, schedule's I, yeah. The schedule's real tough yeah. this year. There's not uh, out of conference. They have to play Florida, NC State, and BYU uh, mm. along with an FCS game against Florida A&M. Uh, but then in conference, I don't think I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. I, they obviously play UCF. I don't think they catch a break though. I think they get Cincinnati and oh yeah, they get. I have the little. You know what's been helpful is the little square that they yeah. make that has all the teams and all the games. So I'm looking at that right now, and they do have a full a full slate yeah, with, with all the teams. That, it's a tough one for them this year. It, I, when we did the USF preview, I talked about this, but like mm-hmm. if you're a Bulls fan, and I'm you know, you're not going to see the ones this year. What you need to do is watch each game and see the improvement on the field. Are you mm-hmm. more organized? Are you playing teams closer? Are you, you know, playing 16 minutes all the way through because they had, you know, unfortunately the last year under Charlie strong and the first year under Jeff Scott's just been such a collapse and attempt to transition yeah. that, you know, last year was so between the pandemic, not getting to practice new coach and everything, they just couldn't uh, be expected to do much. Yeah. It is tough. And when you have a schedule like that, it's just, it sometimes feels insurmountable. And they're starting off with that Florida game in week two. That's so rough. (laughs) Yeah, no, uh, I know they like to brag that they got Florida coming down to Raymond James Stadium, but now they can't hold that over UCF fans anymore. So we're all happy with that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure. I am Uh, sure. I'm excited. You know what's a name that I don't know? And I don't know if this is something that you guys keep an eye on but I really liked watching Houston quarterback Clayton Toon last year so I went to Houston for the Tulane game and that was the game he kind of looked superhuman in Mm -hmm. it was just like an incredible game for him and I got very high on him obviously he was inconsistent after that but I feel like this is the year we're going to see that Tulane Clayton Toon for the whole season I mean I know that's what Houston fans think (laughs) I think I think similarly to you about Clayton he has all those all the tools I should say to put it together. He just really hasn't. And what I need him to do is just make his decisions a little bit quicker and more decisively. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just, and all that he has to cut down the turnovers. But I think Houston's going, whether or not he's able to do that is more reliant on whether or not Houston can fix some offensive line issues than whether or not he can visit by his third year, he should be able to make those quick decisions. Otherwise, you know, I don't know what we're doing at Houston. Well, I talked to Brandon Jones, who was their offensive line coach, good friend of mine, known him since his Cal days. And we spoke last week and he was very optimistic as most coaches are, but between, you know, him and I, he said that the offensive line looks better than it ever has. And that the the synergy between tune and the lineman is at a level that they hadn't seen. And, you know, I asked him, I had to be point blank, you know, do, do you and, and your head coach Augustin feel any of this pressure that that's mounting around you? And he said, they absolutely don't. They're just focused. They, they feel good. Everything feels good. And they're not worried about it. So. Yeah. We'll I mean, see. Houston's a strange case for me in this yeah. conference because and I'll say this now, it's been my stance for a long time. Joe's, you know, when he was the host, he was a big Houston guy. So he always mm-hmm. had something to say about them. <laughs> Houston should always be one of the two best teams in this conference bar. None, no excuses. Yes. You always should be. They've got the best history of really any team in this conference. 
They've got more money than anyone in this cup. Yes. They've got excellent facilities. They should always be at the top. If they're not, there's something that's not working. Uh, you know, for a while that was major Apple white was not a very, he, he wasn't ready to be in that head coaching spot. It just wasn't right. the role that fit him. He, you know, not to disparage the guy too much or anything, but he wasn't recruiting at a high enough level. It, it just didn't right. work. Uh, Do you think that maybe he was just too nice of a guy? I always, he always struck me as just like, a, like a Clay Helton at USC is just nice, but like not enough of a cutthroat shark to do what you need to do in the state of Texas. It's possible that that was part of it. I think he just didn't have the relationships he needed to mm-hmm. get through that time. And he didn't have the backing of the boosters enough to give yeah. him more time to figure it out. I think he just probably needed I think honestly, he probably needed a role at a place in Conference USA or some, but like, had he gotten the head coaching job at a Texas State and then mm-hmm. got a decent job, yeah. Yeah, I think he just needed a little bit of a lower level with lower expectations. Yeah. Um, but no worries there. Then they got Dana, and Dana's first two years were just so funky. Yeah. Uh, There was so much team chemistry issues and you hear all the rumors about, you know, the, what was going on in the locker room and you hear differing accounts of like who the coach was to each player is very strange. Yeah. in the 2019 year when he, after week four, they lost in that really dramatic uh, Thursday night game. To I was there. I was at that game. That, that was such a good game. <laughs> I called it too because I had never been to Tulane. It was my first game, and I was on the field. I filmed that touchdown pass from Justin McMillan um, to McCleskey and Jalen McCleskey, and that was the most incredible dialed up play I've ever seen. And that was the moment I fell in love with Willie Fritz and his yeah. offense. Like, oh it was yeah. <laughs> Not to get too sidetracked from what I was saying about Houston, but yeah. Sorry. Well, Willie Fritz and Tulane are some of my favorite to watch in the conference. Absolutely. Uh, Sorry. (laughs) But but yeah, but that's when he, after that game, they said, all right, we're going to redshirt all of our key senior players. Mm -hmm. And I I know the seniors who didn't get redshirted were very offended by that because that means, Oh, we're not key players. And then DR King transferred anyways. And then they had, you know, Clayton tune became the replacement for him. Uh, And tune again, He's a capable quarterback. He's not yes. DR King, though. He just isn't. You know, he can't do those same things. He's not as just electrifying. Yeah. Uh, then, then last year you had COVID and they had tons of cancellations to start their season. I don't think they played until like October. And yeah. this was a conference that wasn't trying to delay the start of the season. <laughs> right. Uh, so he had two, he had an experimental year and then a weird year that was difficult for everyone. Now it's year three. It should basically be all of your guys in place. You've had time. It's a normal year, more or less. You got to go win now if you're Dana, in yeah. my opinion. And you do. You know, I, I just don't know that they've got the horses to compete with the top of the conference just yet, though. And I wonder how long it is until that pressure starts to get to them a little bit more. A little bit more than it is. I don't know. That's a good question because they'll be knocking at the door just underneath, and their schedule, I think, helps them, you know. Yeah, the, the out-of-conference schedule is pretty manageable. Yes, and they get it in a way that lines up that is helpful. You know, you get some of the teams that you can beat early on, and then they're spaced out nicely, I feel like. You know, you've got some – you've got, like, a win and then a loss and then a win. It, it looks like a manageable way to go through the season for Houston. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if we see them by the end, like, surpri- surprising some people, for lack of a better word. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, and for uh, I'm really interested in watching Tulsa's out of conference schedule, but for how manageable mm-hmm. Houston's is, 
Tulsa's is not. Uh, <laughs> no. I mean, that in the nicest way possible, they should beat Arkansas State. I believe there's an FCS game in there, but uh-huh. then they have to go to Oklahoma State and they uh-huh. have to go to the Horseshoe and yeah. play Ohio State. And I don't think that, I don't think it's You know what's interesting about Ohio that? State. I'll tell you this though. They get Ohio State after Oregon, which I think, and maybe this is crazy, but the Oregon-Ohio State game, they go to the Horseshoe as well. That's going to be a rough game because Oregon's very physical, a little bit dirty. And I think getting them after that is the best case scenario for a team. That's all I'm going to say about that. Okay. Do you (laughs) think it would be better for Tulsa if Oregon goes in there and upsets Ohio State or they just scare them? I don't know. See, that's tough because then you have the you have them either really angry or really defeated. It could go either way, but I think that it's key that they play Oregon before them. It's going to, it's going to affect them one way or another, either mentally, physically, whatever. So they're going to be a little shook coming out of it. So I'm not saying Tulsa is going to upset them or anything, but I think it'll be a very interesting game coming after that Oregon game. I hope so because my fear (laughs) with that game is that Tulsa secondary all transferred to Missouri uh, you know, Zayvon Collins left for the NFL and they've got a new quarterback coming into play. And my fear is that they get beaten up pretty good uh, from a yeah. team that, you know, a lot of people will look at as, oh, that was last year's, you know, conference runner up and they got beat up that bad where, you know, where are they really at? So that's my kind of concern with that game. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's tricky because I'm all for Tulane hosting Oklahoma and like a home and home. I'm really not super happy that Tulsa's going to Ohio State. And what do I you do you think that Tulane has a better ch- like? Do you think they have? I personally think that they're going to be Oklahoma. I've been telling everybody that now. Oh, you do. Oh yeah, I so do. How, how many drinks does that mean Spencer Rattler had the night before on Bourbon Street? Less. I mean, see, that actually is a very good point because you're coming into New Orleans, which is a bit of a, a, a crazy show, but I honestly, I've been talking to the guys from Tulane. I have a couple, you know, friends that are on the team and coaches. I've been catching up with them through their camp and they're very high on Pratt this year. And he looks so much better. And that was always like a concern. Oh, is, is Pratt, is gonna you know? really, he's going to yeah. be really, really good. I'm convinced that he's the third i think i've got slay is the third best quarterback in the conference right see now. and and even as a, a second year that's a huge leap to make for somebody and it's not only that but he's got such a deep core not not just wide receivers but they have really good running backs mm-hmm. they're going to utilize tight ends so much with Tyre james will wallace and the transfer the new transfer tight end um i just i think they're going to be very surprising for some people and everyone's like oh the defense the defense no the defense is going to be fine um, I mean, and the, yeah, the defense just just losing a couple really good defensive ends. I think that's where people's anxiety yeah. about it comes from. But next man up, baby, that's what it is, you know. Oh, definitely. <laughs> uh, over at Tulane, though, what do you know much about Chip Long as an offense coordinator? Because I have a little bit of experience covering him because I cover Notre Dame as well. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what your relationship with like. I'm not going to say with him because I don't know that you have one. Like, <laughs> what you know about him? What are your thoughts on him? And I don't what- know much about, I've never like spoken with him yet, um, but I have spoken to offensive players at Tulane in the, in the last couple of weeks. And I asked him, I said, the biggest concern people are saying, one of the biggest concerns is how you're going to adjust to losing, you know, Will Hall. And then in this, with this new guy, is it going to be, is there going to be some overlap? Is there going to be issues? Mm-hmm. And everyone I've talked to, like 
off the record in the sense that they're just being completely honest has said it's been seamless that he's been great that all of the players really love him and and oh. it's good so, really yeah so i will say this notre dame okay. is one of the worst places to cover if you go by rumors because rumors are <laughs> at notre dame they're just terrible uh yeah. you know you know like jordan johnson the wide receiver who transferred to ucf there's rumors about his grades those were unfounded and ridiculous uh, jordan Botello, a current defensive end on notre dame there's rumors he was going to be suspended all year they weren't true it they, they're frequent and they're often wrong but there's a reason why chip long was fired at notre dame and it wasn't his on-field success interesting uh, ian book and him did not get along at all Ian Book wanted Tommy Reese to be his offensive coordinator because they were close. Tommy Reese was the quarterback's coach at the time. Mm -hmm. Chip Long was someone who was beloved by the offensive linemen at Notre Dame and not very well liked by the skills players and not very well liked by Brian Kelly, though he did produce the best offenses Notre Dame has had since Brady Quinn was there. Yeah. So definitely an effective coach on offense, but there's at least, again, I say rumors, they're Notre Dame mm -hmm. rumors. How true are they? Well, I think they're true enough to believe that there's a reason he wasn't rehired or he was fired, whichever way you want to look at it. Mm -hmm. That's um, interesting. You know, and he had to hit the reset button on his career a little bit. He went and he was a grad assistant, not a grad assistant. I'm sorry. An analyst <laughs> at Tennessee, I believe it was for a year because of that. Yeah. Well, and ho your biggest hope is they learn from it because look at, look at what happened to Steve Sarkeesian. If we're going to talk about falls from grace and learning from our mistakes, he's the biggest example that you can mm -hmm. literally have nothing and have everything taken away from your bad habits and your bad, you know, behavior mm -hmm. and then build your way back in. So you have to believe that, that somebody like that is going to take what they did, learn from it and turn around and be better. And all I've heard from, from the two lane players is that he is a, a good guy and they do like him. So that, that's good. We'll, we'll see. I, I've got nothing against him. I'm not rooting against him. That's yeah. just, you know, the thing, the rumor that was kicking around when he left Notre Dame was yeah. that he was hard to work with for some people. Well, he better fix that quick because you won't, your life again, will not be very long. <laughs> but again, he was also the best offense, uh, uh, best offense coordinator Brian Kelly has had at Notre Dame, bar yeah. none. And there's no real debate around that. Well, you know? he's definitely dynamic. And I think the fact that he's going to utilize tight ends more for Tulane is going to be a real strength because they have such a, a great tight end core. And they were they were so effective at the end of last season for Will Hall. So I like that he's keeping with that theme, you know. So it'll be fun to watch. Yeah. And if any Tulane fan were to want to figure out what that means, just go mm -hmm. watch Notre Dame's offense in like 2018, <laughs> 2019, see how they use Cole Komet, who is on the Bears now. He was yeah. excellent at Notre Dame. Yeah. Exciting times for the exactly. green wave. Yeah. Yeah, no. And uh, another team that Chip Long used to be the OC of was Memphis. I'm mm. not very high on Memphis. Look at that transition. I know. <laughs> seamless. It was seamless. <laughs> I thought so. <laughs> I, I'm not super high on Memphis this year. Mm -hmm. I just think that they've got a lot of turnover that they're dealing with on both yeah. sides of the ball. Uh, a lot of guys transferred out of the program. But I want to get your opinion on where they're at in year two under Ryan Silverfield. Is this a program that you know, it's still at the top of the conference or are they someone mm -hmm. who has to kind of make adjustments and figure out where they're at? You know, what's funny about Memphis, and this is a team I don't know that much about. I had covered them in previous years, but they're obviously different now. But you, every time you go to read something about Memphis or, you know, you look something up, 
everybody says kind of what you said, where it's like, okay, it's, they're not great, but they're still Memphis. So they still seem to command some sort of respect in this conference as being a great program, but you know, they're not in that upper echelon currently, but that doesn't mean that they couldn't, you know, return there. And this year looking at their slate of games, I mean, I'm interested in that Mississippi state matchup. I want to see some Mike Leach. Oh, I, think, I think they beat Mississippi state. I don't believe in Mike Leach at Mississippi state at all. But Interesting. I also, I, yeah, no, I mean, they, after LSU couldn't figure out how to stop them last year, the rest of the sec had the formula down pad yes. on how to slow down that offense. And I think you have to go back to any time, any Apple cup that he played in the past decade. How did Washington stop them every single time? Mm-hmm. Jimmy like said that was the easiest game to prep for all year. Cause he never did anything new. <laughs> so like, <laughs> That's you know I mean? rough. Yeah. I mean, this I mean is- it's true. I get it. But just because you know, something's coming doesn't always make it easy to field. And the, my example well, of that. Awesome. It's well, the Apple Cup, so there's a little rivalry. Of course, and the a- Apple Cup is my – I have yet to go to one, but it is my favorite game to watch, and I'm going to make it to Pullman one year for it. But it's like how I explain it is this. It's it's not always the most effective offense, but if it's executed the right way, just because you know what he's going to do doesn't always mean you can stop it. Yeah. It's like when Christian McCaffrey ran the ball at Stanford. You knew what he was going to do, but you cannot stop the train sometimes. You just – it takes a yeah. lot to get it in every time. So – he just believes that repetition is key and he'll just keep jamming it down your throat until, you know, he gets it through one or two or three times and that's all he needs. So I think that game's going to be interesting. I I think so too. And that's a, you know, it's a good test for Memphis to see where they're at physically. I just think that I know Memphis fans are very high on Grant Ganell at quarterback. Mm -hmm. I'm not as much though. And I just, (laughs) and there's just no other way to say I'm not convinced until he proves it right. more until he proves it on the field. I don't think that they're going to be a bad team. I just think that they've got a lot of questions that they need to answer and a lot of transfers coming in. And, you know, I'm just not sold yet. And I want to be sold because Memphis is one of those programs that I do like watching when their offense is going the right way. It's one of the most fun to watch in the whole country. So yeah, preferably well, they'll be good, but you know, we'll I just see. Don't, yeah. Uh, I don't believe we've talked about Navy at all that much. I was just going to say that their week one game against Marshall is one of the things I'm so excited about because they're both iconic programs. They're both really fun to watch in different ways. And I actually reached out to their offensive coordinator, Tim Cramsey, who's a good friend of mine. We, I love Marshall. I'm, I go there all the time. They're one of my favorite things to cover. And I straight up asked him, I was like, are you like, what's your biggest concern for this Navy game? And are you excited to see actual fullbacks? Cause they don't really have them in conference USA. And he, he just told me, he said, week ones concern me because you just never know what you truly have until you play a real game. And he said the triple option team always concerns him because he said, we will have limited drives and need to be very drive efficient. He said fullbacks, not so much, <laughs> but he did yeah. get Grant under sender last week and he was very excited. But of course it's a concern because anytime you have to face a team like that, you have to prepare for literally everything. Yeah. And I, I love what Navy does as a mm-hmm. program. I really do. I know that it doesn't always work. It matters almost entirely on whether or not they've got a quarterback who can run it last year. They just didn't, mm-hmm. but everything goes through that offense. It, the offense takes its time. They try to be methodical. They don't let their defense into bad positions. And the offense itself is about 
making you make a decision in space and making sure that your decision is always the wrong one. You know, mm-hmm. it's isolating a defensive end or outside linebacker with, you know, two options to go at it's counter running or using misdirection on teams. It's, mm-hmm. I really like what they do for me. Navy, you know, is one of the best coach teams in the country under Ken Neo Matalolo. Nice. Uh, Nailed it. Nailed it. I know he's been there, <laughs> long, he's been there long enough. I should know it. Uh, I really love what they do on defense with Brian Newberry, their defense mm-hmm. coordinator too, where they have this very fluid front seven where they, again, because Navy's smaller, because by their nature, they have to recruit guys who probably wouldn't be division one athletes without the academies. They need to find ways to trick you and disarm you. And I love what Brian Newberry does where Cav has a floating front seven. So you can't get a read. You don't know who the mic is. You don't know who the will is. And then he gives you exotic blitzes. Uh, I believe Xavier Arline is supposed to be the starting quarterback week one. The whole of the season depends on how he does though. If he yeah. hasn't improved and hasn't learned the offense well, then uh, I mean, we talked a little bit about USF schedule being hard. Navy's is harder. Yeah. Navy, Navy's is just a slog of a schedule and yeah. they have to go play Notre Dame too, which stinks for them. At least um, they get to end at Temple <laughs> yes, or with they, Temple. Yeah. Which I think was one of their like two wins last season was Temple. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, but I do, I think that, uh, I think they're going to be a lot of fun to watch at the very least. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, you love to see a team that it has the high expectations like that with scheduling. You know, I'd rather see a team do this and have to just, like you said, slog through it, but play really good opponents because, you know, at least you're trying, you know, yeah. and I, I give them that. So and it'll be entertaining. There's also just so much tradition and prestige to the mm-hmm. Notre Dame Navy game that they, it mm-hmm. comes with. That game goes back to like the 1920s. And, no. you know, it's one of the great rivalries that people don't think of as a rivalry in the sport. Uh, and then behind that, you've also got the kind of mini battle that they always have midseason of the uh, commander in chiefs trophy, which is one of those things that I love to pay attention to as well. Yeah. It is a great program. A lot of history. I'm excited. I've covered them a few times, but never at Navy. So I, I, my goal is to make it out. Yeah, I love yeah. the service Academy. I've been to yeah. army. It's such a just different experience, you know, cause the guys mm-hmm. are playing for more than just football. I mean, they're defending our country and they're it's, it's just more than the game. So I love it. Absolutely. Uh, I believe that's all 11 teams that we've touched. <laughs> no, I take that back. We skipped SMU, which is bad because they're one of my top teams. <laughs> oh, in the no. conference. I take that. This is why I go when I don't have my uh, exact sheet in front of me of what I'm going to be I mean, doing. I think we were doing a pretty good job of seamlessly just bringing up topics about each team. So that's I'm not going to fault us. That's what I was trying to do, except we almost know, made it. <laughs> I know. Uh, Sunny Dykes, though. Do you SMU. think that, do you think there's any chance Sunny Dykes jumps back to the power five after this year or is he at SMU more long-term at this point? It's so funny that you asked that because I covered Sonny when he was at Cal and the whole, like Tony Franklin, who was the offensive coordinator there, you know, Jared Goff, and then was mm-hmm. recently at um, middle Tennessee and now retired. He is one of my actual best friends. We text, he was just texting me this morning and I was telling him about this new gig that I have. And I was like, Hey, you know, I'm trying to connect with coaches in the conference. If And he's like, oh, here, I'll, he's like, sent me Herb Hand's contact. And Ooh. he's like, you know, you should talk to Sonny and all these things. And I always forget Sonny Dykes is at SMU. But it's, I remember when he left to go, that the biggest thing that we had heard is that he always wanted to just be in Texas. I mean, he's a Texas guy. That's where his lineage is. Mm-hmm. And so you talk about him leaving. I, I don't know why he would. SMU is such a good program oh. for him. 
if a say if a Texas Tech were to open up and they could mm-hmm. hypothetically offer more money, though, with what's going on to the Big Twelve, I don't know that that's a better situation. Yeah, I'm just you know, that, that's the only thing I could think of yeah. at that point. You know, what I mean, it's just I guess a hypothetical, but yeah, I don't. Want I think I think he's. Means. I don't think he's going to go anywhere. I think this is what he always wanted, and he could probably just finish out his career in the situation he's in. Um, mm-hmm. because that's just the kind of, that's how he is. So that being said, it is fun to watch his teams play, um, especially from, you know, an offensive standpoint, but my biggest reserve with him, and I don't know how much this it goes on at SMU. Maybe you can answer this is when he was at Cal, he let the defense you shrivel. Like they did yeah. not pay enough attention to the defense and it was so much offense. So yeah, I'm wondering if he's not more of a balance. Yeah. No, that, that still happens. But okay. uh, the, the concern with SMU is that they'll play every game 56 to 49. Uh, they've got some talented individuals on defense. It just hasn't come together as a unit yet under him. Yeah. But, uh, you know, yeah, that's all I can say about that. <laughs> to, be, to be fair, that's okay. what a bunch of coaches in the conference. Josh Heupel was notorious for doing that at UCF. You know, mm-hmm. it, it happens in this conference from time to time that, well, of course, if that's what you're used to, that's what you do. You know, like you're, if you're an offensive guy, that's where you thrive and that's fine. But I, I just think you can't completely forget about the other side and you have to at least surround yourself yeah. with people that can help you out. So my question is like, does he have good help defensively in his coordinators and his coaches? I think they're fine. I don't think they're okay. great. I think, interesting. I think by the nature of his offense though, you're mm-hmm. going to be put in a difficult position every time as a defense coordinator. Yeah, uh, that he, sucks. He's going to score fast. He's going to score a lot. He, you know, by, you know, SMU doesn't hold on to the ball for six minute drives. They just don't. Right. You know, part of the reason why Cincinnati or Tulsa could be so successful on defense is because they weren't trying to score right away. They were trying to take their time and be a little bit more methodical about it. SMU mm-hmm. isn't like that. They're trying to put up, you know, go quick. They're trying to run that hurry up and they're trying to, you know, knock you out downfield if they can. Uh, and yeah, unfortunately, when you play a team like Cincinnati who can consistently force a three out on three and out on you, it's going to backfire and you're going to lose by, a, you know, unfortunately a wide margin last season. When you play mm-hmm. UCF, you're going to get into a really bad shootout. Uh, just the nature of the beast. Um, yeah. At the same time, I don't like being at all critical of that coaching staff because they SMU has not been this good since before the death penalty. Okay. You know, when they got ranked under Sunny Dykes, it was the first time they were ranked since literally before they got the death penalty. So they've been absolutely phenomenal. They're recruiting at the top of the conference. I think Cincinnati is the only one ahead of them right now. And yeah. they're, they're doing absolutely everything right. I just want to see a little bit of a bigger fan base showing up to games out there. Yeah. I didn't realize that Jim Levitt is the is the DC there? Yeah, brand new DC. That's amazing. So he's incredible. I know him from when he was at Oregon. One of the most enthusiastic, positive, just motivating coaches I've ever met in my entire life. He's just a presence. So that in and of itself gives me great confidence in their defense. And just from looking at their secondary, they have the the f- former Florida star recruit mm-hmm. coming to help out at corner and they've got three other starters back. So that's huge for them. Yeah, I know Jim Levitt, uh, he's got Love strong it. ties to the conference in a way because he was the USF head coach for well over a decade. But oh, wow. okay. technically that was when it was the Big East and only half the Big East went to the American, blah, blah, blah. We all know that conference realignment stuff. And right. he was just FAU's DC last year and they were excellent on defense. So he obviously still has that touch with it. Um, 
it's just a question of how quickly can that get going. And again, I like have no reserve. Like now that I know, I didn't realize that was him. I'm all in like, that's, okay. I have no reservations about him assimilating. It's going to be incredible. I'm excited now. Yeah, no, I'm on board. We're all in. <laughs> I'm pushing it all in on the Mustangs. <laughs> well, yeah, like I said, though, sometimes it's still tough with that type of offense because I really liked mm -hmm. Randy Shannon at UCF, but he had a really tough year last year because the offense was just too quick for a young defense to keep up with sometimes. Yeah. What happens. But no, I absolutely think SMU's top of the class on the conference. That's awesome. All right. Yeah. And I, that gives us a little bit of a rundown. Do you have any? superlatives you want to give out best mascot best uniforms the best uniforms are two lane there's no debate but <laughs> the, the two lane baby blues <laughs> are my absolute favorite thing in the whole world i i was so enamored with them last year or the year before that i actually asked jj mccluskey to snag me one of those um baby blue hats they're so amazing. So that's probably one of my prized possessions, but I'm excited to just dive into the color pool here because you've got ECU with the purple, mm -hmm. you know, you've got a lot of green going on. There's the, the temple. The red cherry. is nice. You, you got to call it cherry. They don't like it when you call it red. Oh, it's cherry. Okay. It's cherry. <laughs> got it. Okay. T temple. They say that. Yep. That's cherry okay. and white. Cherry. Cherry and white. Okay. There's a cherry and cream. I might be wrong. No, it's definitely cherry. <laughs> Cherry. Okay. Got it. So I'm excited for that. And, um, obviously UCF and all the black and gold is so nice. So you got, well, you gotta be ready for the space uniforms. I don't know if you, you <laughs> I have enough. heard of the space uniforms. Yes. Look up if you get the, oh well, yeah. Look up the 2019, yeah, 2019 space uniforms, which was half of the, uh, their helmet was the moon. It was the light side of the moon and the dark side yeah. of the moon. Yeah. Those were, very cool, but I had trouble looking at them after a little while. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it gets a little too clever for its own good, but um, but I, I do love seeing what we're gonna like the throwbacks and the different mm -hmm. you know combinations. So American looks like awesome. a fun one. I'm excited. So awesome, uh, yeah. And with that, I believe we've touched on a little bit of everything before we yeah. get into. We actually have games to preview next week, and that's yes. that's why we've been waiting for. Yes. Yeah, so we, we will be doing that next week. Uh, until then, I am Dan Morrison. You can find me at Dan underscore Morrison 96 on Twitter. Uh, what's your Twitter handle? My Twitter is Emilnem, E-M-I-L-N-E-M. -E it's a long story that I'll tell sometime on the podcast, but Eric, it's one of his favorite stories, so okay. I'll have to share it at some point. <laughs> we absolutely will. Uh, but yeah, until then, we'll see you next time. See you next time. Ooh.